0: Amen. Mark chapter 10, we're going to start at verse 32. Uh, when, I, when I was in, in high school, I was a sophomore, and my teacher, Mr. Baker, you remember Mr. Baker herself. Mr. Baker taught me a word I had never heard before. He taught me the word chiastic structures in literature. A chiastic structure is when, when, when the author begins here and, and goes somewhere else and then ends up somewhere else, and then it all connects in the middle. Create some sort of like a sandwich. You ever read a, a story that's like a sandwich or, or, okay, some of y'all don't read, okay. Pulp Fiction, the movie Pulp Fiction was like a sandwich of, of multiple stories that were all connected in the end, right? Is it okay to redeem Pulp Fiction? Yes. All right. Yeah, y'all watched it. Come on. Don't judge me. I was just doing sermon research. What happens in the gospel of Mark is that Mark will begin with a story here and then have other stories and other accounts of what's happening in Jesus' life. And then later on he'll introduce another theme. And then what you'll discover when you read it storybook style is that they're all connected. There's a reason why uh, Jesus would do a teaching on, on the Sabbath and then the next thing he says is, I am Lord of the Sabbath. It's because he's trying to connect the theme so that you would understand his heartbeat. So in Mark chapter 10, uh, we're seeing a sandwich. It's a sandwich that begins in Mark chapter 8. In Mark chapter 8, there's a story of a blind man. That blind man is, is touched by Jesus, and he begins to see shadows. He doesn't see clearly yet. And so when, 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 he, when uh, Jesus touches him a second time, he's completely healed. Now the disciples are watching this happen, and they don't understand that Jesus is talking about them. Because Peter is going to reveal and say that that Jesus is the son of the most living, the high living God and all that kind of stuff. And Jesus is going to say, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. And, and, And we get this idea that the disciples are starting to perceive who Jesus is. But yet what we are learning is that they're still blind and Jesus has to walk them through and teach them through so that they can see him clearer for who he is. And so in Mark chapter 10 is the closing of the sandwich. We start off with a blind man. In Mark chapter 10, we end the story with another blind man, blind man Bartimaeus, who in his blindness, though he could not see Jesus, spiritually, the Holy Spirit allowed him to see that he was the son of David, the Messiah. Whereas everybody else who could see him did not recognize him. In the middle of that sandwich, Jesus reveals his mission to his disciples three times his disciples are like we've left our fishing boats we've left our tax collecting business we've left everything to follow jesus our ship is has finally come in if we connect to this guy we're gonna be rich man i think they were watching christian television uh We're going to be, we are are finally here. I mean, I didn't graduate high school, but I started a business. But this right here, I'm going to get notoriety because I'm connected to Jesus now. And Jesus reveals to them, guys, I'm going to Jerusalem. They're going to arrest me. They're going to hand me over to the Romans. They're going to beat me. They're going to spit on me. They're going to uh, 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 humiliate me, and then they're going to crucify me. Every time Jesus tells them that, the disciples respond with some of the dumbest things that people can say. Uh, You're going to die? Okay. Who's the greatest amongst us? You're going to die? Okay. Um, Who sings better, Jesus? Jesus. Who has better humor, Jesus? Is it Peter? Is it James? Who do you like more, Jesus? So in, in chapter ten, verse thirty-two, it says, in, uh, "It says it says, they were on the road going up to Jerusalem." So far in Mark, in the Gospel of Mark, Jerusalem has been the source of Jesus's opposition. Jerusalem has not been the place where you just kind of go to Jerusalem and like you're know, like, oh man, in Jerusalem it's going to be amazing. All through the Gospel of Mark, they've been sending scribes and Pharisees, teachers of the law, from Jerusalem to attack Jesus, to question Jesus, to try to trap Jesus. And so it says that Jesus is on the road to Jerusalem. And what you must understand is that Jesus is is walking towards Jerusalem knowing that in Jerusalem there's betrayal, there's opposition, there's an arrest taking place. There's beatings, there's, there are people who are going to grab his beard and pull out his beard and, and, and they're going to spit on him. And he says that Jesus is not in the back dragging his feet like, oh, i got to go to Jerusalem. But rather, it says, they're on the road to Jerusalem and Jesus was walking ahead of them. He was in the lead. That's why the Bible can say that he is the captain of my salvation. Because he, he the, our, our Jesus, our Savior, will never take you to a place that he has never gone himself. So if you're going through suffering, if you're going through humiliation, you can rest assured that Jesus has walked it for you already. And he's giving you strength so that you can walk it out too. As a matter of fact, there's a blessing in it. The Apostle Paul says that, uh, that, that, that that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and take fellowship in his suffering. When you are suffering, you need to go ahead and throw a praise party at that moment and say, I am experiencing what Jesus experienced. Count it all joy when you face various trials. Jesus is walking ahead of them. It says, and they were amazed. And those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen. Saying, see, we're going to Jerusalem. Listen carefully, guys. We're going to Jerusalem. I want you to understand... What's going to happen in Jerusalem? I, I'm going to give you the details of what you can expect when we get to Jerusalem. We're going to Jerusalem, and, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests, okay? Who's going to be? The chief priests, the, the ones who are the authorities on the law, on, on religion, in our in our nation, in our, in our ethnicity. Those guys, the chief priests, are, I'm going to be delivered to them and the scribes, and they will condemn me. They will condemn me the very people who i came to save are going to condemn me they're going to condemn him to death and deliver him over to the gentiles because they don't have the authority to actually execute their judgment verse 34 and they will mock him and spit on him <clears throat> and flog him and kill him and after 3 days he will rise See, on this side of the cross, we read that and we're like, this is good. This is the gospel. Jesus takes on suffering that was reserved for me. He takes on the wrath of God. And then he rises up so that I don't have to be stuck in a sinful condition. But because of the same power that rose him up is now going to live in me. It's good news for us on this side. But on that side, if you didn't know, if you weren't sure about the future, and Jesus is saying this. I think this is a moment where you say, Jesus, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Can you explain that a little further? But the disciples, Christians, in the Greek, it says this. It says, Christians are dumb. Jesus is talking about sacrificing himself. And we're thinking, about glorifying ourselves. The gospel is about your selfless life now, but the doctrine that we appreciate is your best life now. If you can't say amen, say ouch. And in verse 35, it says, And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. I, I, I like Mark. Mark's like, okay, guys, I, I want you guys to know exactly which James and John's. Th- there shouldn't be any, any confusion here. It was Zebedee's kids. <laughs> I'm going to be very specific so you know who I'm talking about. James and John. Zebed, the Zebedee brothers. Yeah, those Those morons. Jesus has just explained, I'm going to die. They're going to beat me. They're going to flog me. They're going to mock me. They're going to spit on me. And then I'm going to die a gory death, the worst type of death you can even imagine. They're going to hang me up on a cross and and all these things. And, and, And the Zebedee kids come up to Jesus and say, teacher, will you do something and promise to say yes? I have a son, Zion, and I expect him fully, if he has my DNA, to behave the way I behaved when I was three, five, six, and even 17. Uh, and let's be honest, I'm 38 years old, and I say the same thing to my wife. Honey, um, listen, I was at a fashion district, and I saw this. Sh- I-, I need you to promise to say yes. I need you to guarantee that you're going to give me a favorable response. Uh, Mark's a nice guy. The go- Mark, the gospel writer, he is a nice guy. Matthew is mean. Matthew. <laughs> if anyone's going to write my story, my account of my walk with Christ, I want Mark to write it because Matthew goes deep, man. He goes, he goes low. Uh, Matthew chapter 20, the same account is, is, is uh, talked about there. And, and it says, uh, James and John, the Zebedee brothers, brought Mrs. Zebedee, their mom. They, they bring their, and, and I just picture like a, a, a Jewish mom from New York, okay? Come on, Jimmy. Jimmy, go ahead and talk to the rabbi. Hurry up. Johnny, we practice in the mirror. Tell him we practice. Hurry up. Jesus, he ha- they have something to ask you, Okay. Okay, Mom, uh, Jesus, you know, we've been following you for a while. We like your teaching. We like that whole thing, water to wine. It was cool. Will you do something for us? We've never asked anything of you. You did say ask and you shall receive. And, and, and you know, it's kind of, uh, Christians are the best manipulators. See, see they had seen Jesus. Be nice when, when, when the children were brought to him because moms were there. And so they're like, Jesus never says no in front of mothers. If mom is there, it's going to be cool, man. I'm sure the other disciples are like, why is, Jim, why, why is J- James and John's mom here, man? It's weird. It's kind of like, like that, that teenager who, who's on the football team who brings their mom to, to, to practice to talk to the coach that doesn't happen to any of y'all why isn't my son starting there's no one more intimidating than a mother I don't know about Jewish mothers I know African mothers my African mother would walk into that school excuse me, excuse me my son you gave him a B we came from Africa not for bees. We're not Bafricans. We're Africans. We want us. <laughs> Intimidating. My white teacher's like, "Well, oh, Mrs. Balima, we'll work this out. Um, I'm sure. I'm sure we can get extra credit, and and if it stays after school, um, okay. Thank you very much. God bless you. <laughs> I don't know how Jewish moms. Come on, Jimmy. Talk to the rabbi, listen. (laughs) (laughs) And they said to him, grant us to sit one at your right and one at your left in your glory. Grant us to to sit one at your right and one at your left in your glory. Point number one, point number one, if you're taking notes, God is patient with dumb disciples. God is patient with, with 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 dummies, of which I am foremost. We like to write people off. You messed up, I can't trust you anymore. Uh, yesterday, if you were at the 316 conference, you missed out. Uh, my good friend Patrick from Grapal was sharing a story about how he had an employee who sucked. He hired him, he sucked. Fired him. The guy came back three days later and asked for his job back. He hired him again. Wasn't doing well. But giving him chance after chance, he became the best employee. And after four or five years of working in that restaurant as the best server, one day comes up to Patrick and says, Patrick, I'm moving to San Francisco. I've learned so much from you. You've given me the tools to go and open my own restaurant. What if Patrick had written him off and said, you messed up once, done. God knows you're going to mess up on Tuesday and he still chooses you. He knows up you're not, not going to get it next year. And after five years, 40 years of walking as a Christian, you're still going to mess up. And he says, I have called you, not in spite of you, but because of you. Your mistakes, I will redeem. I'll use as teaching moments for other believers. God is patient with those he calls. Point number two, the glory is in sacrifice. The glory is in sacrifice. Uh, G, after this complete description of, of his death, uh, they say, uh, we want to sit on your left and on your right. And, and we, want, we want so that when you're at the pinnacle of your success, Jesus, we want to have your back. We want to we be there for you. We want to be the buffer. Listen, Jesus, when you're at the Oscars or the Grammys, when when you're about to take that selfie, James will be right here and John will be right here. (laughs) Jesus is talking about a sacrificial death. Disciples are talking about a seating chart at the banquet of glory. (sighs) He went to give up his life They wanted more from this life. He was about your selfless life now, and we want our best life now. He says to them in verse 38, you do not know what you're asking. Uh, Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism of of which I I am baptized? You see in the Old Testament there was this this symbolic uh, 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 word that they'd use to describe the the fury of God's wrath against sinners and sin. Sinners and sin. God is angry as it is revealed in the Old Testament in Psalms that he is angry and the stench of sinners infuriates him and so He says, the cup of God's anger against sin, his hatred for sin. Are you willing, are you able to drink that cup? To fully be submerged and immersed in the wrath against it. And these cowboys or cowboy fans. Respond by saying um, cup, yeah, baptism, yeah, uh, yeah. I, I can handle that. Verse 39, it says, uh, we are able, and Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. Jesus is prophesying. He's saying, yes, you will experience what I've experienced because I've already walked it out. And so if you're following, if you're connected to me, you're going to experience some stuff. As a matter of fact, if you're walking and, and, and you're following after Jesus and nothing is happening to you and everything is awesome, you must look at your faith and say, am I really following Jesus For James, for James, he was was beheaded. For John, the end of his life was in exile on an island. That's what following Jesus cost him. And in that suffering, we learned that, that even Paul, he's in a Philippian prison cell, tied up, busted and disgusted, but he's still saying, God is so good I count it all joy. Oh, that we may know him in the power of his resurrection and take fellowship in his suffering because he's walked in front of it, knowing what was coming, calling us to follow behind him. Y'all with me so far? The glory is in the sacrifice. As a matter of fact, there's, there's an interesting uh, thing that's happening here. He says this. He says in verse 40, But to sit at my right hand or my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it is prepared. Now when he says this, the same language is used to describe the thieves that were on the cross with Jesus. On his left and on his right when he was lifted up, when the Son of Man did the glorious act of giving himself up, he had on his left and on his right the worst of the worst. A picture that when Jesus is in his glory, what you bring to the table is of no consequence to him. He can use the lowest, the most vile to do his bidding, to do his work. Y'all got you guys with me this morning? So it says, and Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those Uh, Well, verse 41 says, and when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. Uh, The indignation that that you're seeing here is not a righteous indignation, but rather it is a, dang it, we missed our chance. Peter, they brought their mom. Why didn't we think of that? You ever been in a meeting and, and, and your coworker that you're kind of jealous for their position says something that you wish you'd have said? And so, and so he says, oh, um, um, uh, and just to piggyback what Jim said, I was thinking that the uh, the annual report was actually really great. The TPS reports came in really perfect, and everyone looks at you like, "What the heck did you just say?" You just want to look smart because 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 Jimmy just the indignation that these guys are having is one of like, "Dang it, man!" Why didn't we think to ask Jesus the same thing when He was vulnerable, when He's acting all sensitive? You know, there's a timing. I, I'm yo. When I was a kid, I, I knew when to ask my parents for stuff. If Dad is whistling in the hallway, <laughs> I'm like, whoa, let's ask for some money. <laughs> When mom is a little bit, you know, just nice. Oh, let me, mom, can I, can, can I, can I, can I, can I go, can, can I, can I, They come in slamming the door. Mm-mm. That's when you say, hey, can I volunteer for some chores? <laughs> Indignation there is not a righteous one, but rather it is a jealousy. It is a murmuring. And so Jesus is like, okay, gather around, morons, gather around. I'm going to explain to you some things here. So in verse 42 says, he called them to him and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. they are going to say lord it over them. Lord it over them. The rulers, those who are in positions of power of the Gentiles, lord it over. If someone is over, that means there's some people who are under says so that the world system is one where you lord it over people. If you are going around always having to explain to people or sell, well, I'm the manager. If you have to tell people that you're the manager, guess what? You're not the manager. You're insecure. This leadership lesson here is not just for the kingdom of God. It's about how you lead at Starbucks as a shift manager. You don't lord it over people. You lead like Jesus did. If you're in HR, whatever it is that you're serving and, and, and working at, your way of, of, of leading and, and having authority is not in a manner where you're like, Michael Wilcox, you work for me, so you do whatever I tell you. You don't go George Jefferson with it. Come on, somebody. Uh, my sister... My sisters are here. Both of them are here. And uh, my sister Nikki is five years younger than me, and, and Liface is 18 years younger than me. My parents would, would leave and say, Jonathan, take care of your sisters. As soon as they walk out of the door, mom and dad aren't here. I'm the boss. <laughs> I'm the boss, and, and there are certain things that are going to happen. We're not watching Smurfs, Nikki. We're watching Transformers, okay? <laughs> and if there's nothing else on but Smurfs is the only thing on, guess what? We're giving the TV a break. Now clean my room, <laughs> iron my clothes. What else did I ask you? Don't stop. We've been, I've been redeemed, okay? <laughs> we behave this way because that's the world system. It's in our DNA. And she's like, the Gentiles, those who are not part of this thing that I'm starting, this new movement. They don't. Lead, they lead it that way, but there's a different way for my people. It says, verse 43, it shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. It's an upside-down kingdom, upside-down pyramid. If you want to ascend, you must be like me and descend. The further lower you go, as I did, the higher you're glorified in this kingdom. It says, the Gentiles lorded over them. Peter, uh, whom Mark is is really a scribe for, for this gospel, Peter, in in 1 Peter chapter 5, he says this. He's saying, uh, we are your fellow elders and and the elders among you. And and, and, and then he says this in verse 2. Says 1 Peter 5, 2 says, shepherd the flock that is among you. Did you catch that language? Shepherd the flock that is among you. Not shepherd the flock that is under you. I don't want to speak bad of any other churches, but there's some churches where the pastor is put on a pedestal. I have so many people under me, and I am the bishop, high cardinal elect of the holiness, perfect church. (laughs) The text says leadership in the church is one where we lead among each other, recognizing the different gifts and how it complements each other. I firmly believe that the greatest rewards in the kingdom of God are not necessarily going to be for the people who are up front. It's going to be for the faithful who never were seen. It's going to be for the praying grandmother who gave out candies at Sunday school. Every week, just giving out a little candy, saying, God bless you, little one. Because guess what? I'm 38 years old, and I still remember that old grandma who'd always have a little candy for me that made church awesome. The greatest rewards will be for those who get up early and come and serve and set up and nearly break their backs preparing this place for someone to experience Jesus, the greatest reward, I believe—I don't know if this is theological or doctrinal—but I believe that the greatest reward will be for those who work in children's ministry to make sure that the kids learn about Jesus at an early age. Shall not be among you. Whoever will be first, must be a slave. Everyone say, "I must be a slave." I must be a. We live in the land of the free and the home of the brave. Nobody wants to be a slave in America. You you want to be first in the kingdom. I take off my crown, and I say, I'm a slave to whoever God sends here. For the Son of Man, verse 45. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. Last point. God only recognizes greatness in how we serve others greatly. God only recognizes greatness in how we serve others greatly. Jesus was heading to Jerusalem. His goal was to give up his life as a sacrifice. His motive was you and I to be a ransom for many. He had a goal to give himself up. And the motive and the driving force for himself was not that he would gain uh, all kinds of stuff, but rather that he would gain you. And his method was selfless. Do you come to church with a goal to get, 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 or do you come to serve? Is your motive recognition, selfies, or is your motive genuine love for the lost? Is your methodology one, you go around, one where you go around telling people, well, I'm in charge of ushers, Oh, that's not my gift That's not my area so, so I know you guys need help But when I'm trained in it That's when you can call me Or is your methodology Selfless Do you know that 98% of what I do as a pastor Are things that I don't like Starting a trend where pastors are honest about stuff 98% Is like having diapers Changing diapers Changing diapers again. I just changed your diaper. I got to change it again? That's what the people business is like. It's rubbing shoulders with prickly people. Walking with them. And extending the same grace that you received towards them over and over again. You know, the thing about christianity is this is that we always say that i I, pastor i'm just struggling with knowing god's will Uh, there is no such thing as a struggle of knowing god's will it's very clear go ye therefore and make disciples he has given you a green light go go The problem with this is not knowing his will, it's doing it. Is there a part of serving God that is beneath you? Because I can tell you that he took lashes on his back. That they pulled out his beard. That they spat on him. That he was humiliated. That they put him up on 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 a pedestal to crucify him. They drove nails in his hand. They put a spear in his side. It would have been been enough if he had died in that way. But they took it a step further because sin was not just uh, an act, but it was also shame that came upon humanity. And so to shame him, they stripped him and he was hanging there naked. They shamed him. And he walked that For you and me, my question to you becomes Is there anything that is beneath you in serving Jesus? It shall not be so among you. Serving and being kind without knowing Jesus is meaningless if you believe that you will be recognized in heaven because of your kindness, you really believe in karma. And that's not the gospel. In Matthew, mean Matthew, (laughs) Jesus says, many will come to me on that day and say that we prophesied in your name we, 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 we fed the poor in your name we did all these nice things that you would do that we saw you doing and Jesus is going to look at them and say keep stepping I never knew you do you know him two things if you don't know him this is your opportunity to know him he died on a cross was beaten and shamed in order to ransom your life for him. Secondly, if you do know him, if you've been walking with Jesus, as the pastor of this church, I'm going to ask you, stop visiting Relevant Church. This church was not designed for visitors. It's designed for people who are willing to pick up a towel and clean the messes in our city. People who are willing to say, you know what, I'm giving my heart, my life, to make sure that people far away from God can hear the gospel. Get involved. On your way out, there's a reserve table. If you're not serving any capacity, you've been coming here for the last six months. Repeat after me. I, come on, say it like you really mean it. I I. have been hired.